Welcome to the Indigo Podcast, an exploration of human flourishing at work and beyond. I'm Ben Barron of Indigo Anchor and Cleveland State University. And I'm Chris Everett of Indigo Anchor. For more information, please visit us at www.indigopodcast.com. All right, guys, welcome uh, to the show. Ben, what are we going to talk about today? Hey, Chris. So today we're going to talk about crisis management communication, some principles and pitfalls. And within that, we're going to share with everyone some six principles of crisis and emergency risk communication, the phases of a crisis and the communication rhythm, and some pitfalls to avoid and implications really for everyone. You know, we're going to be talking a lot about uh, things that are relevant right now in terms of public health. However, this is uh, these principles are very important for leaders anywhere, and really any of us who may be thrown into some sort of uh, crisis, either in our organization or in our community. Right. Uh, you know, what do they say? Never let a good uh, crisis go to waste. And <laughs> since a lot of us are experiencing this one, and it's very emotionally salient uh, in the mm-hmm. moment, um, we really want to communicate about this because leaders can, you don't need a pandemic to learn about how to communicate during crisis. Right. Um, but first, some housekeeping. So, gang, if you like the Indigo podcast, if you're a believer in evidence-based business and life knowledge, um, we just want to ask you to give us five stars on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. So if you feel like we've earned it, um, we'd appreciate you just taking the two seconds out of your day to rate and uh, give us some stars and share this episode or something about the Indigo podcast on social media. All of this is super helpful in us continuing to grow our audience and get this information where it's needed. And for those of you that have done so, thank you so much. That's right. Thank you all very much. And so, you know, it's important also for us to mention that this episode on crisis management communication, this is first of what we're, of what will likely be a handful of episodes that we're going to do on crises and related topics. And we're drawing uh, our sources here directly from some amazing resources that are out there from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And we'll include a link to all of these resources in the show notes and try to summarize them and provide our insights in terms of what they mean for all of us as we go through them. And, you know, what we really love as about all these resources from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention here in the United States is that they're all evidence-based. They're drawing upon the relevant social science literature from what we know about communication and psychology and sociology and so forth. Uh, and even though the angle that is kind of taken in some of these resources is around public health, we see a wide range of applicability for all of these principles across a number of different situations in which leaders find themselves having to deal with the unexpected uh, when that happens in your organization or in your communities. So that's what we're planning to do. We're going to talk about the first part of this here today. And you know, this comes from actually a chapter in uh, a whole series of documents that the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention put out. This one's just the introduction, and it's on crisis and emergency risk communication. And we're going to provide that overview for everyone here today. That's right. So this 
this uh, pamphlet or chapter or whatever it is, this resource that you've got has been curated by a group of experts um, on this stuff. So, you know, one of the one of the first things we need to start with is and what is crisis and emergency risk communication? Sure. So crisis and emergency risk communications is kind of an umbrella term for uh, this, you know, evidence-based framework and a set of practices that are really important for anyone who's dealing with an emergency, especially the people who are uh, have positions of authority within those organizations. And this whole area is built around, you know, as I mentioned, the psychological and communication studies sciences, um, studies in the field from issues management, uh, lessons learned from all kinds of emergencies and disasters that have happened all over the place. And, you know, you think about the range of things that can happen to our our world. Um, you know, these are not things that are, they are unexpected sometimes, but they are not uncommon. Things like hurricanes, things like uh, industrial accidents, things like armed conflict, things like pandemic illness, of course, uh, earthquakes, forest fires. Um, and you could even use some of these, I think a lot of these principles actually, to any kind of other emergency that you may have within your organization um, related to your organization's strategy even. Uh, so we're going to talk about the kind of this this entire umbrella of practices and behaviors that you can take to better do this in your organizations. Yeah, you know, as part of our consulting work, Ben, um, there have been tons of times that a CEO has reached out and said, hey, we've had this incident. And I'm, mm. I've got to address the organization, right? Right. And, and, you know, can you look over my stuff? Can I get on the phone with you and you mm -hmm. coach me through my communication? Which is great. You know, we're happy to do that kind of stuff. But lots of times, you know, especially, I mean, if, if you're Google or something like that, you have a whole communication team, mm -hmm. right? You've got, uh, you know, people that help you with messaging and all that kind of stuff. But other organizations, say in the, you know, 50 to 300 million range, you know, it's almost, you know, times we've come into an organization during crisis or something, and we're sitting there, you know, we're looking around, all right, we're getting a sense of all these people that the type of people that are in this organization, you know, what's the dress code, the norms, you know, we're, our spidey senses are out. But it's almost like they push the CEO or whoever's going to do the talking like out on the plank, <laughs> you know, they're on Peter Pan's ship and they're about to have to get thrown to the uh, crocodile that swims in the ocean. Um. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. That, that certainly is the case. Um, you know, most, most organizations probably don't have the resources for kind of having all this stuff planned out. And at the same time, even large organizations, you know, you'll see they sometimes screw this up. Um, before we go any farther, though, in, in, or further in terms of what we're talking about here today, because uh, we mentioned that we're basing all of this on some information from the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, I think it's important to uh, ask the question, you know, why should we trust any of this information from the CDC, Chris? Why? Why? Aren't they just a bunch of uh, people just, like, coming up with this stuff and uh, just their this opinions? The certain thing, so you've got a cabal with the Illuminati <laughs> and the former CEO of Pepsi, 
No. <laughs> I think it, I think, it also has to do with the Freemasons and... And uh, Rockefellers. Yes. The Rockefellers are in there. So it's, it's, no. a big, it's a big conspiracy. No, this is not true. So I have to bring this up because in today's media climate and stuff, there's so much that comes from folk knowledge. Um, there's so much of how we learn to be managers comes from a monkey see, monkey do kind of environment or you just kind of grow up maybe you get an mba or something you learn a little bit but you don't actually know and and this is a lot we did a a episode that we knew would not be popular and actually is probably our least popular episode on how science works (laughs) but but we you know it's like eat your asparagus kids it's good for you right so (laughs) I like asparagus. Yeah, yeah I, I love it. Eat your spinach or or whatever, right? Your lima beans. I, I like all those things. But um, we got to talk about how this stuff works because there's this idea that the people in these organizations are profiteering or are directly influenced by um, commercial outside interest. And I'm not going to say that that's never happened because people are fallible. But that doesn't mean that you write off um, whole bodies of knowledge or people. You know, your doctor has pharmaceutical sales reps. They're, they're salespeople for certain drugs that come in and try to get your doctor to prescribe this drug versus that drug for hypertension, say. I mean, the, these economic incentives are everywhere. But if you're an academic in the CDC... Or if the CDC could, you know, got together a group of PhDs to help create, you know, this is kind of a quick and dirty playbook for mm-hmm. crisis and emergency risk. They're going to put it out there. And and Ben, are PhDs nice to other PhDs that publish garbage? <laughs> no, <laughs> ge- generally not. No, and uh, or at least they're they're passive passive aggressively. Uh, you know, they they will they they will ignore them and think less of them, right? And and that stuff doesn't usually get published. So you know, I, I think going back to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, this is a U.S. Um, organization in the U.S. government, and you know. I've been around people who civilians who work in the government um, because of my military experience, um, some pretty high level people. You know, there's a lot of civilians that work side by side with the military in various government organizations and then in other types of organizations, just being in contact with some of these folks who have made a career out of public service. And, you know, like any organization, there's, there's good ones and bad ones. But you know what? I would say that these people, by and large, there are some really, really smart people working in these types of organizations, some people who are very well-intentioned, who are simply trying to work hard to do, put out the best information that they can and to use their expertise for the public good, which is fantastic. And I think is, you know, just that that's one reason why I personally oftentimes do trust the, uh, the information that's put out by these types of organizations. They're not trying to trick people. These are the guys you went to school with that liked being smart for smart's sake. You know, <laughs> they, they they don't survive super well in regular organizations and business because that those are the doers. Like, you know, these guys are the guys that like to crack the books and explore things, design experiments and see. Um, 
So, I mean, we'll probably hammer on that one throughout this series, but the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is full of a bunch of reliable characters and mm-hmm. um, things to look for when people criticize these people. You know, oh, well, they just have a financial interest. Great. Can you show me where they have the financial interest? Okay. It looks like there might be something there. Can you show me in the evidence and the literature um, where they missed it? Because they'll have citations for this kind of stuff. And and if, you, if somebody can't, you know, and, and this brings me to the other thing of, oh, well, I have a PhD, therefore. That's never, that's not how you make an argument. Something right. isn't true because somebody in authority says it's true. Something is true because a preponderance of evidence makes it true. And so that has to do with, you know, execution from leadership and communication. Like there is evidence around this stuff. Um, and, that, and it just applies to any of this kind of stuff. So, um, okay. I, man, I, I'm glad you brought that up, Ben. That, that's such a really good sure. needed piece at this time. I agree. I agree. So we talked about what crisis and emergency risk communication is, and I think we can now dive into these six principles that are outlined in this introductory document from the CDC uh, and talk a little bit about them, right? Because I think these are so great, not just for public health emergencies, but for any kind of time in which a leader is trying to handle the unexpected in their organization. So uh why don't we list them and then we'll uh, talk through each one a little bit uh, in more detail. What do you think? Yeah, th- this is great. So if you're somebody that has to talk in front of people, or if you're somebody that has nexus to the person that has to mm-hmm. talk to somebody, you don't have to invent this as you go. Don't look like somebody walking Peter Pan's plank, right? Mm-hmm. This can give you, and you don't have the budget for some you know, massive media relations team. Um, Use this book to help shape your play-by-play. So, yes. the, and you don't have you don't have to get the book. You just do what we're telling you here because we're pulling directly from it. <laughs> yeah, for those of you that don't like to read, hey, you know I, who I you are. Yeah. <laughs> so the yeah. first one is be first, yeah. right? Yeah, let's you just li- let's just list all six of them, and then we'll go yeah. through each one. Yeah. Okay. So be first, be right, be credible, express empathy, promote action, show respect. Those are the six um, principles. Those are the six principles. So the, the first one, be first. I mean, this stuff is like raw fish at a sushi bar in the sun, right? It, <laughs> if you, <laughs> you know, if you've been drinking too many uh, cold sakes at, at the beach and and it's been an hour and a half and that raw salmon's just sitting there, like, I don't know. You might want to think again before popping that in the right. old mouth. Well, and the thing is, uh, uh, sometimes, um, right, so the idea here is be first, right? Crises are time sensitive. And sometimes I see many leaders who will, and this actually applies to all kinds of communication, they they hesitate for a long time to say anything or to send that all-company email because they don't have all the facts. They don't feel like they have enough information. And guess what? you probably never will in these types of environments. Um, And so what you have to do is, you know, communicate quickly. And when you do, you can, uh, you know, be very clear. And this kind of goes to the next point about be right. Um, You know, include some information about what you do know, right? This is something that's happened, right? We have this, this disease that is starting to spread globally, right? 
Talk about what is known. Talk about what is not known. And then talk about what you're doing to fill in the gap. So be first, get out there, because oftentimes that first source of information becomes the preferred one. It becomes the one that people start to go to, especially if you're starting to establish that credibility, which comes with being right. So be first and be right. Be accurate uh, to the extent that you can. If you make a mistake, which you may, uh, you, you correct yourself. Right? You have to have that humility to not just double down on the wrong thing you said yesterday. Right. So on the be first, like you said, the first source of information generally becomes the preferred source. When you wait, everybody mm-hmm. in the organization talks quickly. Um, I remember, uh, you know, different times in you know my military career, you'd be like, gosh, it's so hard to get you know, pedestrian information out there, like go get fitted for your uniform at 1400 on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I had a pic, if I had a racy picture of somebody in this chain of command and that got out to two people, I, I, everybody in the unit would have it within five minutes. Hmm. Right. So, and, and there's that kind of mentality. It's like, why, why is the communication I want to go out and be known never get listen to but like any of this scandal type information just catches like wildfire and the answer is because it just does right (laughs) so just like the sun will come up tomorrow when there's risk or emergency people's focus becomes very acute and so you need to even if your first communication is just hey this happened and we're aware stand by for future communication you need to be quick with that, you know, getting that next message. But being the first helps you control the narrative about what's going on. Right. Because in the app, you know, when something bad or unexpected happens, uh, people are, you know, we are naturally information seekers, right? We like, we, we don't like ambiguity and un- uncertainty as humans. We like to seek information to try to make sense of the world around us. And when the unexpected happens, that kind of goes into overdrive. We start really seeking information. And when that information is not readily available or when those people who whom we think should know or should be talking to us, those people in positions of authority aren't talking, then we start to fill in the gaps. We start to fill in the gaps with rumors. We start to fill in the gaps with, well, I heard this or with other sources of information. Uh, and this is where, you know, you can see some of this in the uh, current uh, environment of coronavirus. You, you hear about all kinds of crazy conspiracy theories and just bad information uh, flying all over the place. And that happens because people are creating the information themselves. They're creating these rumors and so forth. So I think, you know, to the extent that you can, being first and being right is very, very important. Right. And and on the being right, just acknowledge this is what we definitively know. This is mm-hmm. what we're exploring now. And this is what we hope to find out. Because that also, not only does it show that you're aware and you're acknowledging and that you're communicating, it's that you have an operating system, Right which feeds into the next one, be credible, that, hey, these people are acting in a disciplined way, that they have a disciplined way in which to sense and respond and formulate plans, right? Mm -hmm. This is not a time to shoot from the hip and speculate about what you think is going on or what you think the, the solution is, right? That will shoot your credibility down very, very quickly. Uh, this is when you know your honesty and your truthfulness should really be ratcheted up even more than than I hope it already is. 
Right. I mean, always have that, you know, good standard of truth. Um, so uh, also part of your credibility is, you know, if you have to have experts, so let's say you have some kind of chemical spill in your factory or something, and you're the CEO from five, you know, factories over and you don't do anything with chemicals or something like that. Sometimes your credibility there is to, and, you know, and now for a message from Dr. Chemical PhD, who's going to be leading, right? You actually don't have the credibility as, you know, maybe you were the former CFO. You don't know these kinds of things. So make sure you have somebody with you that has that expertise or credibility in that time of crisis or emergency um, with you if you yourself don't have it. And that's actually going to build your credibility as somebody who said, you know, as somebody who relies on expertise during that time. Right. And I think these first three points about being first, being right, being credible, uh, there's a good example that comes kind of from the most classic um, case study of crisis management out there in at least in recent time, well, relatively recent times in uh, U.S. business. And that's the case of Johnson and Johnson in 1982 with Tylenol. So in that time, uh, someone tampered with some of the bottles of Tylenol and put cyanide in some of them. And as a result, uh, seven people died. Um, and so obviously, you know, Tylenol is a very widely used medication. And this created quite a bit of consternation in the public when some people died after taking it. Uh, very quickly, Johnson & Johnson made the decision to pull all of the Tylenol from the shelves <clears throat> across the entire, uh, across the entire inventory. Right. So that, that was about a $100 million decision. And, uh, you know, so it was extremely costly, but they, they took action very quickly, decisively. And as a result, they, their credibility, um, continued to increase, right. If they're, that they increased the value of their brand and their reputation uh, because they were being perceived as being honest and truthful about, you know, hey, we don't know exactly what's going on, but here's what we're doing to, to fix this um, to really make sure that people are staying safe. Um, you know, so uh, just kind of a, to throw that out there, you know, if you're interested, we're gonna put some links in the show notes to some more information about that. But the Tylenol case with Johnson & Johnson is a, an interesting one to look at uh, in terms of crisis management in organizations. Yeah, and their brand is viewed as a brand of integrity and mm -hmm. that they will make the right decision. Um, right. I, mean, I mean, we're still talking about this almost 40 years later. So, right. Know, right. That maybe because there's a dearth of that kind of leadership, uh, yeah, sadly, you know. Uh, oh, gosh. Yeah, maybe. But, but the, these things stay with a brand, these things stay with an organization. Um, once you flush your credibility, you can't really pull it all the way under your under your wing again. So make sure that you keep that uh, going. And then after the crisis, you know, that's where people are going to reflect on how everybody operated. And, you know, and we did that episode on COVID Tunis, you know, people are profiting from using COVID messaging to get more of their brand and stuff out there. And, um, you know, people will remember that afterwards. It's, it's not during the day-to-day -day, um, regular operations of things that your real metal as an individual, as an organization is, is tested and shown. 
It's during these times of crisis. And thankfully, we haven't had a whole lot of major, major crises um, similar to COVID, right? Um, but th this is a time, and this is where we're also finding right. uh, some lacking, is because people just don't know how to behave during this time. Do not flush your credibility. And so that, that leads us to the next one, express empathy. Right, right. You can't, for, you know, in, in your focus upon being first, being right, being credible, that's kind of about, you know, information and speed and honesty, all great things. You have to remember in, in this, this moment that people are um, upset, people may be hurt, people may be dead, right? This is a, a very um, you know, important uh, time for you to express that you have empathy with those who are suffering, right? And you should acknowledge this. Realize that this cri you know, whatever crisis uh, is occurring is creating harm, and you know, address you know what people are feeling, and say, look, I I understand that you're feeling this way, and some of the challenges you're facing, and this is very important to include in your communications because this will build some trust and rapport. If you don't do this, you run the risk, and I think the very real possibility of being seen as out of touch, you know, as being uncaring, and you know, it, even if you are caring, like if you don't say it, if you don't use the words and express this empathy you can really start to uh, damage the rest of people's impression of you. Right. So, you know, that early business literature was kind of the people as cogs in the machine, right? Um, you know, Bill is praised for cranking out more widgets, and, and we can leave this human side behind, but we're not robots. Um, if you don't take time to deal with emotions, and this is... Um, at some of that's literatures and difficult conversations, which is a book uh, we totally recommend. This is in the psychology literature. If you don't have time for those emotions to kind of air out and some empathy to be given, you can't get through to the needed work of actually doing the actions and responding, right? Mm -hmm. you, you're now some people will be able to push through anyway, but there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be stuck in that emotions part of their psyche um, mm -hmm. and so as a leadership you need to just acknowledge that you know we are all feeling horrible right now we are shocked by the images we are seeing on tv and the individual challenges people are facing you know the, these are important important words so if you have difficulty with this as a leader and i see this because some of these leaders get kind of go through the meat grinder to get up to that VP level and all that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, they can be a little bit callous at that point. You need to do that interpersonal growth to be okay with the emotions that you have individually. So you can connect authentically with the people uh, around you. And that's, mm -hmm. that's, you just have to be okay. You know, I've, I've talked with executives like, Oh, it's just this touchy feely stuff's just icky. Well, what in your past makes you feel icky? They're, they're just emotions and words, man, you know? Mm -hmm. And and so get okay with those feelings, sort them out, writing those down. So, you know, what words am I feeling right now? Maybe even reach out to someone, hey, what, what words are you feeling right now? And and empathize with those, you know? That's, that's what makes us human. Right, right. So be first, be right, be credible, express empathy. 
the, the next one is promote action. And this is a, a, an interesting idea because in any kind of crisis, and this is talked about in the, the paper that we're re- referencing from, uh, you know, in any time of crisis that takes time for any type of organization, any type of government agency, whatever, to appropriately respond and to figure out what's going on and the right way to, to approach it. At the same time, there are many things that people who are already in the situation can and should potentially do. And because of that, uh, you need to give some people some, something to do, <laughs> you know, promote action. This means give people something meaningful that they can do to help with the, with the crisis. Um, it can help and this, this just doing something can help to calm some of the anxiety. Uh, it can also help to potentially restore some of the order, make the situation better. Um, it gives people a little bit of a sense of control and, you know, that can, that can alleviate some of the stress. Uh, you know, in psychology, when we talk about stress, one of the big, uh, ways that we even think about that is, you know, it's a it's a, a perceived loss of control, or when our our resources are being overtaxed by our environments. And so, promoting action can be a, a really helpful way to do this. Say, hey, here's what you need to do. You know, don't don't go out in big groups. Don't go, uh, you know, wear a mask. All these types of things that we're seeing right now are ways in which we can give agency to every person, so they can have some sense of control and actually help with the problem. And Ben, you actually did some of that um, in your own family with your kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Giving them little jobs and so forth, you know, saying, hey, here's how we're going to initiate structure in this time. Um, you know, <laughs> what were some of the jobs you, get, you gave your kids? I just love this. Please yeah. share. Well, I mean, so I shared in one of our episodes how we, you know, we started every day. We, we do like a little Pledge of Allegiance and so forth. And like, but they take turns holding the flag. We do a thing where, um, you know, we our morning routine with the uh, with the dishes. You know, we, we, family with four little kids and and two adults um, generates a fair amount of dishes. And so, you know, in the morning we they rotate between who's turned it, and this goes all the way down to the four year old, right? Um, emptying the dishwasher uh, that rotates between the two younger kids, and doing the dishes is between the other the other children. Um, I have, you know, we have a, a rotating schedule where. My, my two boys, they have to uh, spend some time every day uh, reading to, to the youngest, um, reading some of their books and so forth. It, it's, so that can give them a little bit of a sense of control. And then saying, hey, you know, here's some crazy stuff that's going on. Your world has been disrupted, but here's how you can help. And, and I think it, it worked. It's not 100%. Like we, we still are struggling at different points, as everybody is, but it does help to a large degree. Yeah, I mean, you're doing better than I am, Ben. I got it. <laughs> you know, I gotta say this: this um, being home with kids all day has uh, been a growth opportunity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so promoting action in your organization, though, you know, one of the thing is, hey, we're going to divide up these tasks. You know, you guys are going to be, the, you know, team A. You're going to be team, you know, B, and this is what you're going to do. Having your line level leaders and others know that make sure to include everybody in some type of action. Um, you know, we, generally managers, at least anecdotally that I've seen, will rely on just a few clutch people. And there's, mm-hmm. you know, a good 20, 30% of their team that's kind of like, oh yeah, I'm here for the paycheck, right? They never give me anything meaningful to do. You know, you may be able to get by on you know, day-to-day operations. But in a crisis, those people are going to have all kinds of feelings. They're going to need some actions and ways to participate in in a response, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. 
And so make, make sure, provide a block of instruction on some of that kind of stuff throughout the organization so that everybody um, participates. Great. So be first, be right, be credible, express empathy, promote action. And the last of these six principles of crisis and emergency risk communication from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is show respect, right? Um, It's very important in your communication with people to be respectful, understand that people feel vulnerable. Um, People are seeking answers. They don't understand perhaps what's going on. They may be scared. You may be scared, right? Um, but what you need to do is be respectful in how you communicate because that's that's going to promote not only that rapport building and that relationship building, but also some cooperation uh, from uh, from everyone. They're going to be more likely to um, believe you, be more likely to do what you say and ask if you are respectful. Right, and you'll see, you know, despite how people look on the outside, you know, sometimes people look super, super good in a suit. And everybody just impugns that this person's going to have it all together at all times because they just look the part somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen a lot of those fall, fall apart. And the guy or girl or, you know, whoever that does not look that put together ends up becoming the giant champion that rises to the top and, you know... All, you just can't judge that stuff. So you need to make sure that your communication is respectful to everyone. Right. And that, you know, that couches with the empathy and giving people things to do, which if it's a crisis, right, all hands on deck are going to be needed to respond. Great, great. So again, these six principles, be first, be right, be credible, uh, express empathy, promote action, show respect. Right. And so, you know, one of the things about crisis and emergency risk communications is there's actually a difference in this type of communication. Um, you know, there's there's crisis communication, there's issues management communication, there's risk communication. So if you're at a plant and, you know, a couple people lose their hand or something on a, you know, on a piece of equipment, or if there's been a spill, like you're going to talk about some of these risks. You may have like a daily risk brief. I know before we would go out on mission in Afghanistan, you know, we'd have a risk assessment before, and then we'd go over those risks before we moved out of the post, right? Um, if you're having issues, you know, there's been an IT outage, and you now have to handle customer service calls um, and document their issues on paper. There's a paper, you know, there's different types of communication, But here, specifically, we're talking about crisis and emergency risk communication. So one of the things that you've got to do is you got to explain, you know, here's what's going on. And a key piece that's really different here is persuade. Um, People are going to see something that's happening, and they're going to have all kinds of different visceral emotional responses, internal thoughts, and all that kind of stuff. You're actually going to have to put on your salesman's cap, at your persuader cap, and persuade people that, hey, this is a real issue. Um, I know we've seen lots of stuff out, at least I have in social media. It's like, oh, this isn't so bad, or, or all this kind of you know stuff as people just react. They don't have complete information and understanding yet, right? And so you've got to persuade people that 
what you're explaining to them is super important. And then the final piece is empowering decision-making. Right. So, yeah. So when you empower decision-making, and this is kind of like the agile stuff, right? You need to be able to drive down the ability to make decisions down to the lower level. They're going to be able to see immediate stuff and need to be able to respond. Now, if you have a good organization and communication plan, they're going to be able to feed back up to the top what they're discovering and experimenting with and those kinds of things. So you can update your plan and be first, right, and credible with another set of communications, right? Um, so the main pieces that go on that are different than typical risk communication, issues management communication, or just regular crisis communication is you got to explain, persuade, and then drive that decision-making power down to the lowest level. Possible. Right. So it's kind of a combination of all these different things at one one time where you you not only are trying to help people understand why you need to do something, but also giving them the ability to, 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 to do it right at the local level. So um, excellent. So we've talked about, you know, what crisis and emergency risk communication is. We've talked about why you should listen to experts like the CDC. <laughs> we've talked about uh, the six principles of doing this effectively. Uh, but there's also the kind of this idea of a crisis having phases and that there's a, a, a rhythm, so to speak, of communication that needs to occur. So why don't we talk a little bit now about the phases of a crisis and the communication rhythm? Right. Because you don't just say, hey, we know there's a crisis, X, Y, Z, A, B, C, the end. And then everybody's just left to fend for themselves. No. Mm -hmm. the, a rhythm, a cadence of communication will kind of organically evolve depending on what's going on. And so the, the first thing you got to do is prepare, right? So mm -hmm. if you're in crisis, like, you know, this is where you go huddle in a, in a conference room and figure out. And the first thing you do is you want to draft and test some messages. Yeah. Well, and ideally you're doing some of this even before a crisis occurs. You're doing some, some scenario planning. You're, you're trying to think about these things. Um, but yes, if, if something you know, happens, you want to kind of put this on, on overdrive and start doing this right away, right? Right. So I, I don't know of a whole lot of organizations that say that battle planned, well, what do we happen if the whole economy just stops within five days? Mm -hmm. You know, that's, like, a, yeah, that, that's a tough one <laughs> that, that that wasn't in their continuity disaster kind of type plans. Right. Right. And right. so you, you may miss that one. But large organizations like the U.S., you know, has a CDC. We're aware of the risk of pandemics and that kind of stuff. So they had some tools put together. Are they going to be perfect? No. But it's just like a news organization, you know, before the night of a presidential election, They've got all the graphics prepared for if candidate A wins and then all the graphics and headlines and like all that really cool whiz bang stuff that you'll see on TV if candidate B wins. Right. <laughs> right. You know, they're ready for either, you know, now maybe they kind of guess who might win and put a little bit more effort on one side, but they're not totally unprepared should the other person. I feel sorry for that graphic designer is like this person's not going to win. And here I'm, here I'm building all this. <laughs> I, I feel sorry for the kids out in uh, underdeveloped countries who are having to wear, you know, president Bernie Sanders uh, shirts and stuff. 
I don't know. There's <laughs> lots of people that love that stuff. So, yeah. So, anyway. Well, I, I just have an example of this preparation piece. So, once uh, I, I was involved and got to witness and be really kind of closely involved with um, with watching a large university go through a uh, an active shooter type of exercise, right? Mm. Something It was mm. before something happened, but they were going through the, the planning phase, and they, they start off with a ta- what's called, and you're familiar with this in the military, but it's called a tabletop exercise, where right. you get all the, all the different people, all the different stakeholders um, involved, and you talk through the problem. You work it out literally in a big room on tables, right? So you, you talk about these things and say, well, you know, what would we do here and so forth? Who do we need to be talking to and, and those types of things? And then they did a simulation. Um, and this, you know, so this is a large university. They had people from law enforcement, you know, their own law enforcement, the community law enforcement, they had uh, hospitals involved, all these other stakeholders. So they could identify those partnerships, those key contacts, which then could be helpful in case something actually did happen. So, right. you know, it, it's hard to do that. For, you can't do that for everything. But, you, but there are ways in which you can build those partnerships outside of your organization so that you can have those lifelines if and when you need them. Right. So so you got to prepare, right? So draft mm-hmm. draft and test some messages. So every, we've all been on the receiving end of a message that just went over like a lead weight, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so if, you know, and if this is an unexpected crisis, right, because we're talking about a communication rhythm that you're going to have to settle into, before you communicate, you want to at least turn to the person you're left and right and be like, look at this message. And you're like, ooh, this one comes off a little bit insensitive. Okay, great, great. Um, the time that it goes completely deadpan, it's not like the executives um, that are communicating were aiming for that, you know, effect. Oftentimes you can't predict, especially if you got to communicate to a whole nation or something like that, right? You can't predict what um, the impact of every single one of your words are. But you're you're flying blind if you don't at least test some of those message. Um, and then, right. then to your point, those partnerships, right? With communication, like maybe you reach out to a communication firm. So if it really ever hits the fan. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got somebody you've already kind of talked to and know is who might be able to help you help you on that stuff. Um, and then the plans, Ben, like you were talking about the, the tabletop plans. Uh, those are really good. What's something else you could do in the preps prep stage? Well, the other big thing that you can do and is discussed in this chapter is uh, determining the approval process. So, you know, there, there's going to be some sort of incident command, uh, so to speak, that needs to get established. And people need to know who is making decisions about what uh, and what kind of process people need to go through in order to, for example, get more resources, uh, you know, deploy people to certain areas, um, close certain uh locations, all those different types of uh, decisions that need to get made, they need to need to know, is that something we can do locally? Is that something that needs to run up to the top and so forth? So figuring that out is very important because that will help to um, provide clarity around roles and it will speed things up if people are all on the same page in terms of who is approving what. Right. This isn't something where you can just riff and figure it out as you go. There's going to be a lot of confusion and resentment if you don't set up a clear parameter of how things will go forward by setting the rules of the game and the approvals and those things uh, uh, 
setting those clearly and explaining them, you enable the entire organization, country, county, whatever it is, to be able to improvise within those set of rules, right? Right. And this is not about introducing unnecessary bureaucracy into the situation. This is about initiating the necessary structure to get stuff done, right? You can't just have anarchy and say, well, we're all just going to kind of figure it out and everybody can make their own decision. Uh, like empowering decision-making is great. It has to be done in a context of knowing what kinds of decisions are being made by certain levels within the 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 either the organization or a multi-organizational type of situation. Right. Okay, cool. So that's all the preparation stage, mm -hmm. right? Draft and test some messages, have some partnerships in place beforehand. If not, quickly get them. Create and battle test some plans, you know, tabletop kind of planning, and then setting those approval processes in place. So then, then we move into what the CDC calls the initial phase. Right. Right. Um, right. This is when you start to actually execute something. So um, you're expressing empathy. Right. We talked about that. You're explaining the risks. Right. You're promoting certain actions. And and so th that's really good. So you're expressing some stuff. You're promoting some stuff. But then you also want to give people kind of a information check. So, hey, this is what our response efforts have been so mm -hmm. far and this is what we've discovered that's really working and here's some stuff we discovered that's not working so if you're doing that please stop you know that those kinds of things right and this is that that be first type of idea in terms of a principle of, of emergency and crisis uh, communication um, you know getting out there and, and ex explaining what's going on describing what you're doing um, and getting out there and doing that quickly then you kind of move into this maintenance phase where you know the the crisis or the emergency is um, being dealt with, there's stuff going on. Um, you know, it's you have various um, different processes that are underway, and, and in this phase, what you need to be doing as an organization, as a leader, is continuing to explain the ongoing risks. Uh, they may change over time. You need to make sure people understand them and and are and continue to provide the why. You know. Um, you may need to think about different audiences that you have. So you may need to segment your audiences and say, you know, for these types of people, this is what I need for you to be thinking about. For these types of people, you need to be thinking about this. Um, this is a time for you to also start to provide more of that background information, to start to build your credibility, to address some of those rumors that are going to start. Uh, it's inevitable for there to be rumors because we are in hypersensitive, information-seeking type of mode when, when we're going through a, an emergency. Uh, and uh, you need to start address those, uh, address those things and say, hey, this, this is something that doesn't work right now, or we don't know if that is effective or not. Uh, let, let's wait on that. Those types of things are really important to do during this maintenance phase. So that initial phase, the prep, the initial, and then this maintenance phase. Right. So, and it's not like people are making stuff up on purpose. Some of this no. stuff is like a really bad game of telephone, right? Yeah. You know, we've all played that where you whisk, you know, somebody comes up with an idea and writes it down on a piece of paper. Then you whisper it in some person's ear and they whisper it in the next person's ear. And this isn't in crisis, right? This is just having a fun game, right? And then it comes around and and you went, you know, from the yellow pages or, you know, Simon bakes a cake to Simon takes and eats steak, right? And it's totally, you know, 
in crisis, this kind of rumor mill, this kind of bad telephone goes on. And so you have to address those rumors. So if you're in a big enough organization or a countywide type response to that, that kind of stuff, you need to have a way of gathering. All right, who's going to gather rumors, right? Gather all these. Maybe you don't address the really minor ones, but if you're hearing from five different sections that, you know, 5G telephones cause coronavirus, um, well, yeah, you know, as obtuse as that claim is, you might have to address those kinds of things. So, right. So you're in that maintenance phase. This is where you've already started. You know, you've prepared. You're having those initial conversations. And now you're maintaining that communication. So you really need those good feedback loops of what is going on on the ground and then having a good cadence of delivering that message uh, back out to your organization. Right, right. And, you know, I um, not to make this all coronavirus related, but, you know, here in Ohio, um, our governor, Mike DeWine, and his uh, public health director, Amy Acton, they, uh, they've done a really good job with this where every day at, I think they've done this almost every single day. They may have taken like one or two days off since this all started, but every day at two o'clock, uh, they've been getting on and talking about what's going on and what, and basically doing all of this by, by textbook. And it's, it's working quite well in terms of how they're communicating about things. So that's the maintenance phase. Why don't we talk now about um, the resolution phase that, that oftentimes happens within a crisis and um, some of the different pieces there. Yeah. So, all right, then we're in resolution. What's the first thing you want to do? Well, you want to give some people some reasons to still be vigilant. You need to motivate motivate people to still be on the watch for things, uh, to be uh, looking for what's going on, and to help people to understand that there may still be risks that are out there, what they should be looking for, right? So that you think about um, maybe post 9-11, right? It was a terrorist attack that happened. Uh, you know, the initial response happened. There was some... Uh, outcomes of that. And then afterwards, it's like, hey, you need to still be on the lookout for things. This is a new reality. Uh, if you see something, say something, those types of ideas. So um, you need to still keep people, um, give them that opportunity to, to still be on the watch for for what could go wrong. Right. And, and then you got to talk about the lessons learned. Um, most of our knowledge and how we conduct ourselves is folk knowledge that we just Got like Ben. What's the safest seat to sit on an sit on an airplane if you're all by yourself and the plane's going down? Uh, no clue, well, right? Well, no, actually, I th so if you're you if, probably you're all by yourself, one, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I was thinking, I was thinking about you know, um, I think well, I think the aisle seats are actually best because you're away from the the sides, right? Um, now aisle seats are not the best if you get hijacked. If you if you if there's a hijacker on the plane, it's better to be in a window seat. But uh, yeah, <laughs> there, I think there was this card game a while called like worst case scenarios, and then you yeah. judge your response. the The point is, is there's so many things that we um, face that we just wouldn't anecdotally know the answer to. Mm -hmm. um, and a tsunami, where's the best place to go? I don't know. Um, but one of the things is having a public conversations about the lessons learned and figuring out how to bake that into the corporate consciousness, so yeah. to speak, into I mean, the folk knowledge, right? So I had a great conversation yesterday with one of our uh, Indigo Anchor 
teammates, Joe, and Joe brought up the point. He said, you know, all these organizations out there are doing things that they've never done before or maybe are dusting off, you know, different ways of doing things, maybe creating new ways of doing things. It would be really interesting if, you know, you know, to think about how are they documenting the things that they're learning? How are they moving, you know, from this reality into the future? And are they truly learning from it? I, I just think that's a really good point. And if you're not intentional about this, you know, some people may write down some little lessons and they just get put somewhere uh, and forgotten about. And that's that's a shame. This is an opportunity for all of us, for all of our organizations to do our best to try to learn from what's happened and to not make the same mistakes in the future, to be to come out better for it. And that only happens through explicit and intentional uh, discussion of lessons learned and documentation of them. Yeah, and for any of the project managers out there who've sat through the PMP classes and whatnot, you know, this is where, you know, you're doing all the project closure checklist, right? Um, you're updating your organizational process assets, you're publishing what, but let's be honest, nobody does that, right? They're like, mm. and we're done, next project, right? This is a case, depending on the size of your organization, at a minimum, document some of those lessons learned, even if you drop jot down a few of them so that when you're back in a crisis you know you probably have different leadership at that point you can at least pull that document up and and read those lessons learned and refresh um refresh your plan so which which is the last part of the resolution mm -hmm. thing which is revising your plan so if you're one of these county or community state people and you're planning i know one of the I was involved with the um, earthquake response planning for the state of Tennessee back when I was in the Tennessee National Guard. And, you know, well, if we have a earthquake to the west of Tennessee over near Memphis, what are we going to do? And so we're drawing out all those plans. Now, if there is actually one, right, all these plans kind of fall apart a little bit once the first mm -hmm. bullet goes downrange, so to speak. So... Great. Now you have an actual crisis and you learn and learn. You got to update those plans so that you're starting from a better playbook should that emergency incident happen again. What you don't want is, you know, this happened four years ago and you made the same daggone mistakes this time. That That's not going to be a good look for you. No, 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 absolutely not. <laughs> right. So, you know, so we've talked about these principles of emergency or crisis and emergency risk communication. We've talked about these phases that you'll go through in a crisis. Let's move now to talk about, you know, some of the pitfalls that unfortunately are fairly common, but these are pitfalls that you should avoid and some of the implications of those pitfalls that are out there. So I'll go through the five, uh, just listing them, and then we can talk just briefly about each one. So the five main pitfalls to avoid in any kind of crisis as it pertains to communication and so forth is number one, mixed messages from multiple experts. Number two, <laughs> information that's released late. Number three, paternalistic attitudes. Number four, not countering rumors and myths in real time. And number five, public power struggles and confusion. Right. So number one, mixed messages from multiple experts. You've got to be on the same page, right? Right, Ben. So listen, I'm glad you came in to the emergency room. You actually have a really complicated case. We've convened 
uh, team of 10 doctors because this is such cutting edge, such, uh, you know, a unique high and your life is at stake. And now we're going to have, um, you know, each of these 10 doctors come by and make their case for you on which direction you should go. <laughs> that is horrible, right? Oh, my gosh. If, if that happens to you, I, it doesn't matter the risk. Just run away from that organization, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But you don't, you don't want to create confusion. And so you, know, you want to be on the, you know, get that alignment before you go public. Right. So when there is a complicated case, the doctors will convene and they will hash out, yell, scream, whatever that they do behind those doors, coming up with a recommended course of action and why. So that when they come to that patient, they they have a unified front, right? You know, mm -hmm. like we have deliberated. Nobody that thinks about it, about anything seriously isn't going to say that there aren't pros and cons to every course of action, right? But when you're entering that communication phase, you really want to have a unified front. Now, that being said, if all the experts are screaming at the person doing the communication, hey, what you're saying is wrong, you know, you're in the wrong side. So make sure you have experts baked in and that you're gathering that consensus and communicating you know, that way forward. That's right. And so the second pitfall to avoid is information released late. Uh, you know, this violates, of course, the, um, you know, the principle that we talked about earlier of being first. So, you know, if you, if you wait on, on critical information, that's not going to bode well uh, for anybody. Uh, and number three is paternalistic attitudes, right? You want to avoid kind of patronizing people. You want to, you know, try to understand and show respect towards the people you're communicating with. Yeah, th these are adults. And even if the adults aren't acting super adulty at that moment, <laughs> this is a chance by treating them right, by setting mm -hmm. the tone and the communication expectation that you can actually get people to rise to the occasion and grow up a little bit in a moment where they might just want to go crawl in the corner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and number four is not countering rumors and myths in real time. Uh, you know, some, gosh, and, I, and it's not listed here as a pitfall, but sometimes, uh, you know, our leaders will even feed into some of these rumors and myths, which is certainly not helpful. But you really want to deal with rumors and myths quickly. Uh, and help to dispel them if if you can um, provide that factual basis for what's going on and what people should do based upon the evidence you have. Right, and you know the last one is public power struggles um, and confusion. Ugh, you know nobody. No, you know if you have two parents that are fighting about what to do with a kid and they, uh, they just do it right in front of the kid. Um, oh gosh the kid um the uh <laughs> you know that that sets up a kind of third power locus which is that other person now has to say well i can't i'm getting mixed messages um there's a bunch of rumors and these jack wagons are fighting um i guess i'm just gonna ha and then they have to act on incomplete information and those kinds of items that's not what you want. And that feeds back into that countering rumors in real time. Um, one of the hardest places about this, right, is developing that feedback cycle, especially if it's a larger group and organization of, 
you know, people not setting up some means by which to gather that rumor mill so you can actually talk to um, the right pieces in real time. You know, maybe you talk to the initial rumors, but you're just communicating, communicating, and you leave that feedback loop off. Well, that that's going to bite you really in the end. Right, right. So why don't we uh, wrap up a little bit? You know, today, again, we were talking about this introductory um, document from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, all about um, crises and emergency risk communication. And we're going to do a, a few more follow-on episodes on this topic to help um, with this whole idea and help organizations and leaders do this better. Uh, but what did we talk about here today, Chris? All right. So we start off with the six principles of crisis and emergency risk communication, which is be first, be right, be credible, express empathy, promote action, and show respect. Uh, do write those down. Put them over your desk during this time. Um, we talked about the phases of a crisis and communication rhythm, that rhythm that you should seek to develop and settle into as you go through the crisis. And then we talked about the pitfalls to avoid and the implications for individuals and organizations as they go through this. Um, one thing I'd like to wrap up with is, you know, we focus a lot on leadership during this episode, but... If you are a line-level employee or just a person in the world, you can use this same playbook to help dispel that rumor or set your leadership up for success. Hey, um, hey, leader, why don't you take a look at this document? It kind of gives us a quick and dirty guide to how to get through this that's evidence-based or... Mm -hmm. Hey, maybe we should set a feedback loop so we can understand the rumors out that are out there and address them. Set each other up for success, and this manual is an evidence-based way to do that. Thanks for listening to the Indigo Podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider helping us by rating us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, telling your friends about us, having us on your podcast, or mentioning us on social media. Our website is www.indigopodcast.com, where you can access more information about us and this episode. Thanks again, and we look forward to talking with you again soon.